As we come now before the very Word of God, if you'd like to read with me, turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis and chapter 1, also known as Bible page 1. So turn to Genesis chapter, chapter 1. And before we read here, as always, would you please, please pray with me. Uh, Lord, we know it's true that before the mountains were brought forth, or before you had ever formed the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And not just any God, you are the God, our God. So, Lord, as we come now before your word, would you humble us, teach us, establish us by your hand. By your spirit, would you give life to us. Help us to hear, to see, and to believe. This we ask in in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Genesis in chapter 1. I want to take uh, this morning, or at least read, just these first two, two verses, and I imagine you will recognize them anyway. So this is Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the Word of God. Now, today we're beginning a journey through the book of Genesis, and that's a big undertaking, even though at least it's not the plan currently that we will take the entire book. There's 50 chapters here, so if we did the whole book and did even just one chapter a week, it would take us all, all year. But Lord willing, we'll, we'll take up the section from here in creation through to the days of Abraham. So that's the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And along the way, we will encounter, well, a lot of challenging, uh, encouraging, and, and curious, quirky things. We will also encounter plenty of, of landmines. I'm sure it's not uh, news to you that the opening of Genesis has acquired its fair share of controversy. There is debate in these things about all sorts of things, matters of, of evolution, uh, of the age of the earth, about dinosaurs and fossils and the death of animals and the timing of angels and Satan and the scope of the flood. And boy, there's all sorts of, of tricky things here. And if you like to, to think about and explore those sorts of things, well, me too. Uh, I love those things too. Uh, come over to my house. I'll brew you a cup of tea. We'll sit on the porch and we can talk all night about them if you want. There's a good place for discussion about these sorts of things, but the place for those controversies isn't here, not in sermons. 
So we will not be focusing during our time in Genesis on, on any of those, those controversial topics or even talk much about those sorts of things at all. The reason for that is not because the Bible is too polite to talk about controversial things. You know, the scripture wades right in to all the hard stuff, steps into all the swirling waters of gender and sex and racism and politics and guns and war and abortion and all of those things and more. And, and, and it's not because the Bible is trying to be edgy or relevant. It's because the Word of God is telling us what is, what is true to give us the wisdom of God about these things. And so, so we want to be humble and follow uh, with prayer and listening to go wherever the Word of God uh, wants to take us, even if those places are unpopular. And to be willing to let the, the Word of God shape us and, and not assume that we already know the right way about everything. So, so if the text of Scripture goes into hot topic landmines, we, we should be careful, but we should go if that's where it takes us. The difference here in Genesis is that most of the controversies that, that swirl around the opening chapters of Genesis, we don't really need to go there because they don't come out of the text. Uh, most of the debate around Genesis comes from things that people read over the text, things that are imposed upon the text. And, and that sort of approach, I think, distracts from hearing what the actual Word of God says. Our goal here in this time during sermons is not to speculate, but to proclaim the Word of God. That is, to unpack what the Scriptures do say and to leave packed up what the Scriptures don't say. So, it's a long ramp up into this, I know. Now, what do the Scriptures say? How do we begin unpacking these opening words of the book of Genesis? You might think, it should be easy enough, at least in theory, that we should just start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start, so says Julie Andrews. And, uh, and so the, the very beginning of the book of Genesis is the word beginning. It's the very first word of the entire Bible. We refer to this book by the title uh, Genesis, but if we were Jewish readers, uh, they often refer to the Old Testament books by the first word of the book. So in this case, the first word in the Hebrew is Bereshit, which means in the beginning. And so uh, if there was a sermon, they would say, turn to the book of in the beginning, and we would turn here. And so it would make sense for us to then look at what happens in the beginning, that is, to look at what happens here in creation, and we will do that in the coming weeks. But if we look closely at this opening text, we should notice something. The beginning here isn't the beginning in every sense. There is something, if we can call it that, 
before the beginning, before Genesis 1-1, in a sort of pre-beginning. Genesis doesn't go into the details of it, that's not its purpose, but it's presumed, embedded in the text here, because this account is of the beginning of creation. It's of the beginning of the heavens and the earth, but it's not the beginning of God, right? It assumes God is already there. In the beginning, God created which means for us that there was never a time in which there was absolutely nothing. God was in the beginning. God was before the beginning. God was already in the pre-beginning. Now, I know that's not news to many of us, you know. We might assume this is obvious, you know. Of course, he's God. He's always been. He's, he's eternal. That's what God does. That's the way he is. But let's remember that we need to think about Genesis in light of its original context. The Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. This is a very old, old document. Moses, the author here, is writing the book of Genesis to the Hebrew people, specifically the ones in the first and second generation of those slaves that God has brought out of the exodus of Egypt. So, so these people are now in the, in the wilderness. They're surrounded by these various ancient cultures of the Egyptians kind of behind them, the Sumerians and the Babylonians, and all of those various nations and cultures had their own narratives of what the beginning looked like the way the beginning went. Some of those culture uh, uh, origin narratives, in the beginning there was violence and murder. In some of their accounts, in the beginning was chaos. In the beginning was a watery sort of abyss. In the beginning was this sort of panoply of, of multiple gods, or in some of them, in the beginning, there was no god at all because the gods were preceded by the primordial waters. These accounts are slightly different from each other, although they overlapped in some ways. So now Moses here in Genesis, by the Spirit of God, is giving its own sort of narrative of origins. And sometimes the language used here in Genesis uses similar languages of those, you know, surrounding stories, similar to the Egyptians, the Sumerians. That's not a problem or a concern for us, those similarities. It's not affirming that those other narratives are true or, or correct. It's just simply telling the account of the beginnings in a way that makes sense to the people. So Genesis is in some ways similar, but this account of the beginning is distinct from those other cultural beginning narratives in a few key ways. The most unique feature about Genesis' beginning is that here the beginning of all creation comes from one God. One God, God, or Yahweh, I am the one who had rescued his people from Egypt. And in the beginning, God here is unopposed, 
unmatched and unaccompanied. There is only God. Which means then that the book of Genesis is not about beginnings. The book of Genesis is about the God who makes those beginnings. Genesis is not about beginnings, it's about God who makes the beginnings. So as we read then and begin to unpack these things, we start to learn about who God is and how God acts. So for us here, if it's our desire to to know God, to know the one who is before the beginning, then is there anything we can or should know about God from before the beginning of creation? Our big question this morning is, what was God doing before Genesis 1-1? Have you ever wondered that? What was God doing before the beginning? I suppose before we even start to unpack that, there are some people who would say it's wrong to even ask that question. You know, the, the old church father, uh, St. Augustine, taught, brought up this question, what was God doing in the beginning? And he said in his time period, there were some people in his day who would answer that question by saying, well, God was preparing hell for those who asked such annoying, prying questions. Uh, Augustine disagreed, and so do I, but I suppose there's a fair reminder here, okay, that, that we are not trying to pry open a box that God has nailed shut. You know, the Christian puts submission before answers. We're not always given answers, but we are called to submit to God. We have to acknowledge that many times we do not know what we do not know. That said, we are not just asking this question to be frivolous or to scratch some sort of curiosity itch. The Bible seems to want us to know some of what happened before the beginning. And there are parts of the scriptures that stretch all the way back to the beginning and before to give us a glimpse of God there. One of the most famous examples is is the book of John. This will sound familiar, given what we just read. The opening of John's gospel, he specifically is using Genesis echoing language when he talks about not just Yahweh, God the Father, but when he talks about Jesus. So John's gospel opens like this. In the beginning, sound familiar? In the beginning was the Word. Here he's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's how John opens. So he's not just then talking about the fact that Jesus and the Father existed in the beginning, like just sitting there like a rock, that they were together. And as John's gospel unfolds, we hear Jesus later talk about what that looked like just a little bit. He talks about the love that I had with the Father before the foundation of the world, he says. He also talks about the glory that he shared with the Father before the world existed. 
that he had love and glory with the Father, which means before creation, God was not lonely. Even when there was nothing but God, even when there was only one God, God, Father, Son, and Spirit were together in full and glorious love for one another. Which means God did not create everything because of something that was lacking in him. It's not as if God was bored of being by himself, so he says, I'm going to create some yarn so I can teach myself to knit. I'm going to create myself a man, so I'm going to have somebody to play with. You know, none of all of this, all that we see, including ourselves, none of this is a result of a hole in God that he needed to fill. He is complete. So then, what was God doing before he made all things? I'm sure there is much more than this, but the Bible tells us at least four things that God clearly did before the beginning of creation. Let's look at those four things. What did God, what was God doing before the beginning? Let's look at them Briefly, before we do, some of these, I'll say ahead of time, may bring up more questions in our minds. And if that, uh, that happens, I suppose such is life. We don't have time to unpack the questions. We'll just have to listen and take the Lord at his word here. But what was God doing before the beginning? Number one, before the beginning, God promised eternal life. Before the beginning, God promised eternal life. Titus chapter 1. In verse 2, I'm cutting in the middle of a sentence, but that's all right, You'll, you'll hear the important parts. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So there's eternal life that God has promised before the ages began. Let's think about that for just a moment. Before there is even yet a single human ear to hear the promise, there is the everlasting mouth of God to speak this promise. And that is enough to seal the promise. You know, before there's life on earth, or even any earth at all for that matter, God promises life eternal. It is his intention then, before the beginning, to make life in some form that has a beginning but has no end. That's the first of what we know that God was doing before the beginning. He promised eternal life. Here's the second. Before the beginning, God chose his holy family. Before the beginning, God chose his holy family. This is in Ephesians chapter 1. Again, I'm cutting in the middle of a sentence, but that's all right. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he, 
this is speaking of God, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That is, that God chose particular sons and daughters through Jesus. And each of those that he chose, he chose them before they had done anything good or bad, chose them before they trusted in God, put faith in God, before they repented of sin. He chose them before they were conceived in the womb, chose them before even the world itself is conceived. That is to say that every bud and branch of God's family tree is already ordained before he even puts the first seed in the ground. He chose his holy family before the creation of the world. That's the second. Third, before the beginning, God gave saving grace. Before the beginning, God gave saving grace. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 9. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The grace which he gave us in Jesus before the ages began. So there is no unholiness in the very, very beginning. There's only holy God. Before the beginning, there's no serpent, no Satan. There's no fruit in the garden to eat and disobey God. There's no fall. There's no sin to need grace for yet. And even before there is sin, there is grace already given for sin. You notice here he doesn't say that he promises that grace will be given. He says the grace is given before the ages began. So we can think of it like this, that, that God has already given this grace and it sits wrapped like a Christmas present waiting under the tree ready to be opened at the proper time. But the gift itself is already set and given. Third, that's the third. Before the beginning, God gave saving grace. Here's the fourth and final one. Before the beginning, God ordained the death of Jesus. Before the beginning, God ordained the death of Jesus. This comes from 1 Peter in chapter 1, uh, verse 19. Again, the middle of a sentence, but it's all right. With the precious blood of Christ, 
Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So this is talking about Jesus being foreknown, that is, ordained before the earth was founded in a particular way. That Jesus is foreknown before the earth was founded, not only to be the creator of the world, Jesus is not only to be the king of the world, not only to be the light of the world, Jesus is to be the savior of the world by being the spotless lamb, the sacrifice of a blood atonement for sin. His death was already planned before the ages began, which means that the cross of Jesus is not some sort of necessary but unfortunate afterthought. The cross is not some sort of oopsie to to fix a mistake after bad sin entered into a good world. It's not as if the father looks at the son in the Garden of Eden and says, well, they sinned, so uh, what are we going to do now? There is a sense in which the death of Jesus came before the birth of Adam. So from all eternity past, Jesus knew that the sin of man would be put upon him. It would cause him to be afflicted, pierced, crushed, and to die. And yet knowing that, Jesus willingly created us all anyway. Now, when we take all these together, we can see that what God was doing before creation was not small, it's not trivial. In fact, if we take just these few handfuls of things that we know about the pre-beginning and we put them together in a bundle, we can see they make essentially the whole overarching story of the Bible. We see that before the beginning, there is God, Father, Son, and Spirit, whose love and glory in himself, and this God promises eternal life chooses a people as his family, gives them grace for sins that have yet to come, and accomplishes that saving work by the precious blood of Jesus who will be manifested in the fullness of time. That's all wrapped up before the beginning. And this is a firm and secure foundation on which we can stand. Look, I know, it's true of me also, I know it's easy to forget about foundational things and allow other things, sometimes even good things, to slip in and act as a sort of baseline foundation. Usually those are the things that that it's impossible to imagine our lives without. You know, the, the really important stuff, things like family, spouse, kids, career, You know, life's work, some sort of treasured possession or collection, maybe the place you live, whether that's your house, your city, your your country, even your church, 
can become a foundational thing. And all of that may be very good, very good. I don't mean to demean them anyway, but those things, all of them, make for very poor foundations. As good as they are, they, they cannot hold up the walls of the house because those things were never meant to bear that much weight. You know, setting our sights on the beginning, even before the beginning, helps us to see more clearly the things which fade and the things which endure. You know, to close, we'll unpack more of Genesis in coming weeks, but to close here at least today, I want you to do something for me, okay? Humor me for a moment. I want you to imagine that you are standing in your own living room. And for some reason unknown to you, you are given a magic wheel to hold in your hands, a little, a little dial that you can spin to turn back time. Cool, right? I'd undo a couple of things, I think. But imagine now that you just slowly start to turn that dial back slowly. And you would watch your house change. See people pass through the room in a blur. You'd maybe see your furniture change if you've changed it in the recent past. You'd see probably some of the pictures on the wall move, the contents of them change. Eventually, your electronics are going to disappear. No TV, no iPad, because it's not invented yet. You'd eventually watch your house be built in reverse. The walls, the roof would come off. You know, the walls would be stripped down to their boards. The floor would eventually disappear until eventually you're standing now on dirt underneath your house. Trees around you would start to shrink back into seed. You know, your neighborhood would slowly start to disappear. The streets would turn back into grass. Cars would go away and be replaced with horses. And, and then if you could step out far enough, kind of step off of your space and, and see far enough. If you kept spinning, you could go back before the birth of our country. The ink of the Constitution would become unwritten. The founding fathers would be yet unborn. Uh, medical uh, hospitals would, would look like something you wouldn't even recognize. You'd watch the passing of, of wars and, and wealth and weather and all of these things. Empires would, would rise and fall. You'd see the Romans and the Greeks and the Persians go by like that. The unbuilt of the Great Wall of China, the pyramids would disappear. You'd pass through the Tower of Babel and the Ark of the Flood to the Garden of Eden, back to the very days of creation where slowly you'd watch things disappear on the days they were made. No cows, no flamingos, no sharks, no mountains, rivers, eventually no sun, no stars. And if you went all the way back to the very, very beginning, all you would see would be light of day one. And if you clicked that dial just one more turn, the light would go out. And you would see nothing. But there you would hear a voice. Let there be light. And creation would begin. 
in the beginning was God. He's the foundation of all things. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Pray with me. Lord, help us to be stirred to reverence here, to be humbled before your greatness as we acknowledge that you alone are God, the source of all glory, the creator of all things. Help us today and in these weeks to come to wonder at you and to come to trust you more. We ask this in in Jesus' name. Amen.